Jimmy Sangenberger is a talk show host and a columnist for the Denver Gazette. His exposés on the Denver School Board has shown a school board in trouble. This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV. That stands for Independence Institute TV, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. You're going to find this discussion, well, interesting. Denver Public Schools, always a mess. There's one guy who's always trying to get to the bottom of it. Jimmy Sangenberger, my old friend, also from KNUS 710. I think that's right. I think that's there. Good memory. I think so. Fellow columnists on the Gazette Papers, thank you so much for doing all the work you do. Absolutely. Denver Gazette. All right. You, you've you taken to this. I don't know why you have decided to be the to be the um, truth teller for DPS. I'm glad you're doing it. They must love you. Tay Anderson must love you. Why do you take such a watchdog role for Denver Public Schools? Oh, thanks for the having board. me on. And I, I think it is a very good question to start with because... The reality for me has been over the past few years in particular, as I've covered DPS more and more, there hasn't been much, if any, critical coverage unless there's some big splash. Unless there's a shooting. Yeah. Right. Or there are allegations against the school board member or what have you. Something big has to happen when meanwhile, there are a lot of little things that are constantly going on that are distracting from the fundamental mission of educating kids. And yet, despite cratering student achievement, the school board is still bogged down in interpersonal squabbles and uh, ego contests. The board has always been how to put it politely, experimental. They, they've always tried to do different things. They've always been social engineers first and then cared about educational quality second. Let's, let's, get, in, let's get into the ugly part, the shooting. The school district being social, district, social justice warriors decided it was their duty to expunge cops from their, their schools. Cops were part of the schools to prison pipeline, as Tay Anderson said. I wasn't too sure what that meant. I believe what he meant to say was, well, when you have cops in the schools, they're going to obviously profile the black students. They're going to pick on the black students. They're going to arrest the black students. They're going to give black students a record. And therefore, they're going to send them on their way to a bad life and obviously to prison. The way to stop that is to keep cops away from schools, keep them off the campus, Therefore, African-American kids will be free to have a better life. And also, it means shootings can happen. How fascinating it was after the shooting to see that Mayor Hancock and the chief of police were being yelled at, at by parents going, where were the cops? Where were the cops? Where were the cops? The patience that those two had not to scream, why are you yelling at me? Do not yell at me. Do not yell at the chief of police. Yell at those idiots over there who kicked out the police who could have stopped this shooting. I was just incensed by the whole thing. Give me your take. Well, in 2020, they made a, a grievous error, but it was intentional. They believed ideologically that 
law enforcement needed to be out of schools, that SRO, school resource officers, were a problem. And so they did so. The previous board, which includes three current members, including Tay Anderson, who you mentioned before, John, and not only did they take this step of removing officers from schools, but they also, in 2021, through school district policy changes and actions by the district, changed their discipline matrix that weakened the ability for teachers and administrators at schools to enforce rules. And this was coming right out of, of the main COVID lockdowns and the shutdowns of the schools when you had kids that were clearly going to be coming back from, from being away from school, going back to school, with all sorts of behavioral problems. And so you had this absolute recipe for disaster with no law enforcement on campuses and weak disciplinary tools for educators and limited circumstances where the teachers and staff could call law enforcement to come address issues at schools. So you remove them from schools and then severely limit the instances where you can bring them to schools if necessary. And you include a, a policy of these pat-downs where they want students who may be potentially violent, have uh, be on probation for weapons charges or charged with attempted murder, there is policy at the district to keep these kids in schools, even if, for example, at McAuliffe International School, where Principal Kurt Dennis blew the whistle recently and said, hey, we are required to keep a student who is potentially dangerous, who's been charged with attempted murder, and yet it is district policy, which the superintendent, Alex Marrero, recently doubled down on in an op-ed for the Denver Post, saying we need to keep these students in school no matter what they have been accused of. When you put all of these pieces together, and especially when you have school shootings as you have seen, it just shows that there is a complete lack of appreciation for doing what it takes to keep kids safe because ideology trumps safety and it trumps quality education for kids. The first job of a school district is safety. Yes. Be, they have the authority to drag kids out of their homes and bring them into these government institutions. Some parents have some choices. Some parents have the resources to bring a kid to a private school. Some have the resources to homeschool. And that's a huge, huge resource to have if you can afford it. Otherwise, you have no choice. This is involuntary servitude. You must go. There, there are laws that require it. And in exchange, we, accept, we expect safety first. And then we expect education. We don't expect indoctrination. Obviously, kids are not safe in DPS schools. It wasn't a surprise after the shooting that the school district had to reverse course. Either that or they were going, they were going to be attacked by, by their own uh, constituents. The idea that untrained teachers were going to be doing pat-downs uh, is a liability nightmare to begin with. How did any of this happen? Who suggested it? And help me tell the story of Tay Anderson. Explain to me who is Tay Anderson, what qualified him to be in charge of the largest school district in the state, and what drives him? So when we look at the 
pat-down policy. I'm not sure exactly what the origination of that is. I think there's a lot of confusion as to where it began and when, but it's not something new. In fact, in an executive session, a recording of an illegal executive session, illegal because they weren't supposed to go in executive session that they right. had in March. Maybe we'll get to that here in a moment. But in the recording, Tay Anderson, a former employee of the district who was a restorative justice or restorative practices coordinator uh, before he joined the what school board. What does that board. mean? I don't know. But apparently- no, Not a teacher. He said he did pat-downs when he was an employee in the district and he named another employee, said this in the executive session. And just so people understand this, there are kids who have, have as a, a part of their program, they are labeled such that when this kid comes in, Part of his program is right. we have to pat him down. We know he is so dangerous that he could be carrying a knife, a weapon, a gun. It's called a safety plan. A sa he has a safety plan. Some people have an individualized education plan. This guy has a safety plan. He's so dangerous. We can only let him on property if we pat him down, look through his stuff, and then we can let him into the building. And so we pat him down. That's crazy. Well, Tay Anderson just turned 25 earlier this month in July. So uh, he joined the board when he was uh, 20 or 21 years old. And clearly it has shown because he is engaged in unprofessional conduct on the regular. He has put himself and his own interests consistently first. I mean, this is mean, a guy. You, you can't just throw it out there. I need, a, I need an example. So as one example, there was an investigation that was conducted by the school district. The school board authorized it in 2020, uh, 2021. And that investigation was looking into allegations of sexual impropriety and so forth by Anderson. And while the worst of the claims were not substantiated through this investigation, they did fa find that he had coercively attempted to date multiple underage students, including a DPS student, using social media, and also using social media, had gone ahead and in attempted to intimidate witnesses during the investigation on at least two occasions. And this report was also redacted, so there are pieces that we don't know about, and there's a lot more than I'll get to right now. So he's from a school board yes. member hitting on students. That was what was determined uh, once as a candidate, once as a, as a school board member. Yes, underage, Stay under, classy. And when this report came out, the school board, his colleagues on the previous board, voted in September of 2021 to censure him, unprecedented, never been done before of censuring a colleague. Well. A few days later, a thousand high school students at DPS from almost every high school marched out of the school and walked all the way to DPS headquarters. I went to North High School and walked with them 45 minutes. I had no idea I was going to get that kind of exercise. And it was remarkable. They were all calling for Tay Anderson's resignation. But rather than resign, rather than take him seriously, he compared them to January 6th on a web show. <laughs> uh, that is the caliber of a school board member who not only did he lead the charge to remove school resource officers in 2020, Police. but he also voted just a couple months ago when the school board uh, took up the issue of permanently returning school resource officers, police to schools, 
he was one of three who voted no. So he's focused on himself and ideology nonstop, very much anti-police and has been vocal from 2020 when he was a leader in Black Lives Matter movement on to today. What does he do for a living? Good question. I'm not sure. He used to work at a nonprofit called the Struggle of Love Foundation, was fired from there uh, or otherwise let go. Um, but since then, I'm unaware of any job that he has, has taken on. And prior to that, I'm not sure. And being on a school board is not a paid gig. No, it is not. All right. Not in DPS. Um, they haven't voted that yet. It's whether or not to pay school board members. And one thing to note is he has said he's not running for re-election. Instead, he's going for House District 8, which is currently held by uh, Leslie Harrod. All right. So he's looking... He's looking to move up in the world. Yeah, I mean, when you have only 9% support for your re-election, um, you probably shouldn't run for re-election. It might Got not it. be a good idea. All right, so just to remind folks, the shooting happened when one of these kids with a safety plan comes in and is patted down. He has a gun. He takes the gun, and he shoots two administrators who are patting him down. Those could have been kids. Um, then all of a sudden, lo and behold, the school board goes, you know, maybe we should have cops around here. And parents go, what do you mean there aren't cops around here? And those of us watching go, well, when you don't have anyone protecting your kids and you don't have armed staff who are trained to protect your kids and you hate police and you hate armed staff who are trained like police, your children, our children, are vulnerable. Uh, and then they, they back up and go, well, maybe we ought to talk to the, the police again. And they have an executive meeting. They, executive meeting, board meetings have to be recorded. They wouldn't share that recording. Do they, do they have to share that recording? So th they released it the end of just, just last week. From After morning. every single media outlet, including the Denver Gazette, sued them yes. to get yes. it. So uh, I'll walk through the timeline for Yeah, a could moment. you? So March 22nd, you have the shooting at East. A student named Austin Lyle shoots two deans during a pat-down. Thankfully, both of them survived. Later, tragically, he takes his own life. Um, the shooter does. Yeah, the shooter does. The, the next day, an executive session is held, particularly because on the day of the shooting, Alex Marrero, the superintendent of Denver Public Schools, says, I'm going to bring back temporarily the law enforcement, police officers to campuses and DPS. Even though it's against exactly. district policy. Even though it's against district policy. And so this executive session was held ostensibly to gather information and get a better understanding of what the security arrangements are. But as we now know, because the board voted finally after this lawsuit that you mentioned, and a judge literally said in the lawsuit, you have to release the recording, and then they appealed the ruling, the staff did. School board didn't vote on whether to appeal or not. They, the, it was up to the staff, the superintendent and the lead counsel, I believe, Aaron Thompson, to make that determination. But the board finally decided, let's release this recording. We now have the recording public. I've reviewed the four hours. And one of the things that occupies a heck of a lot of their time is being, especially from Tay Anderson and Scott Esserman and Michelle Quattlebaum, being extraordinarily 
critical of Marrero for taking initiative in bringing back cops to schools. And to me, I'm watching this and I'm like, why are you tearing into him when he did the right thing? You should be backing him up and saying, we understand we need to make a change in this policy. They ultimately did, but they did it behind closed doors, which is illegal. And he sort of had to force their hand, even by mentioning in the meeting, he said, look, if you override me, Mayor Hancock, is ready to override you with an executive order. Now, Hancock has no authority is now to do former so. mayor. Yes, and he right, so, uh, denies having done that. Right. So a couple, couple of things. Yeah. Uh, one, the reason the executive uh, meeting was illegal was executive meetings, uh, closed-door meetings, are legal for only a couple of reasons. One, to talk legal strategy if you're doing a legal action because you can't go, here's our position, here's how we're going to win in court when your opponents can sit there and listen in. So you do it there. Or if you're doing personnel matters, which is how, how are we going to hire a new executive director? How are we going to do this? Those are personnel matters. Anything else really is open to the public. And so the judge was like, this, this is not one of those special things. So obviously it needs to be open. I don't know if I agree with you mm. that uh, Tay Anderson was wrong for ripping him a new one. Mm. In that, hey, this is the policy. You know, this I, the policy is crap. Yeah. All right, the policy was crap. I think the superintendent did the right thing, but at the same time, the the district superintendent's job is to enforce the policy, and you know, he can take super action and do that. But one could make the argument that's against the policy. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, it was. Yeah. It, he certainly violated the policy. I'm not quibbling so much with the fact that they were critical of his decision to do something that wasn't authorized under existing policy. My criticism is that they spent so much time and got so heated. I mean, Anderson in there, for example, is dropping a couple F-bombs and other bad language, talking about how Marrero is looking like a hero and we look terrible and national media is here focusing on us. And it is all about me, me, me and the personal stuff Oh, that's here. fascinating. Much more than just this is Save a the, breach of policy. Or the safety of the kids. Right. All right, so let me ask you this. I, I, I'm a little confused. So they have the, the, this meeting, and then they vote to bring cops, SROs, back into the school. What was the vote, and how did Tay Anderson vote on that? That temporary vote was 7-0. They all, all right, voted so, in so favor help, of help, it. Help me, help me with this one. So in the private meeting, Tay Anderson and was it a couple others mm -hmm. are ripping the superintendent, a new one, dropping F-bombs. How dare you make us look bad uh, for, for doing this? Uh, and how dare you bring in the cops? And privately, did they vote privately to, to reverse? Uh, so that was a public vote. They came out from their nearly some five-hour meeting, by the way. It wasn't a short meeting by any stretch of the imagination and about an hour and a half was workshopping this memo and then talking about how they were going to approach the media. But when they come out of this meeting, <laughs> they spent literally five minutes reading the memo that they developed behind closed doors. Number one. Number two, 
offering up. Is there any discussion? Nope, there was none. 33 seconds, literally, between the school board president, Sochi Gaitan, saying, any discussion? No, let's vote. Roll call vote, 7-0, boom, they're out. Five minutes in public, five hours behind closed doors. So we don't get to see how the sausage is made. When you saw how the sausage was made, was it a unanimous vote to bring back the, the school board members? Uh, it, was, oh. it was clear that they were all going to agree to that. Okay. Um, and there's some um, question about the, the whole thing with Hancock and what he was saying and who was motivated by what. But it, I think they understood they couldn't just say, we're not going to allow school resource officers, police back in school. How funny, right because in front of the media, it seemed like Tay Anderson was the guy saying, we need to make this, we need to make this video public. My sense is, well, he knew it was going to become public yes. anyway. Yes. Oh, without, without a question. Um, and, and he he knew it. I think they all had to know was eventually going to come out. And so the idea of spending all this money on an appeal and then losing the appeal in court, having to release it and, inst and not vote on their own terms to release it, uh, well, you probably wouldn't want to do that. At some point, you have to accept reality. But the big thing here to me is that here you had a school board that after a crisis and amidst the crisis, decided to go behind closed doors for five hours, have this discussion, which almost none of it was justifiable under the law for open meetings. Entirely right to bring it out of the public. And by the way, this is not the first time that they have done at least dubious executive sessions. And then come out with the change. And what, what you see when you see the recording is so much of it was about themselves and about what they are doing. In fact, the superintendent, Alex Morero, on a couple of occasions says, why aren't you asking me about how the staff or the students are doing? Why is it all about what he action says I took? This. In yes. He, he literally says, you haven't asked me about how my staff, my employees and the students are doing because they're so bogged down in these other things. And to me, it is, it is mind boggling how you could have a school board of seven people who are so out of touch, at least for the most part, out of touch as to not recognize that not only should they be focusing on what can we do to provide safety for kids, but also get back to the fundamental objective of a school district, which is providing a good quality education, and they're not. They've been so distanced from that priority, and we have seen, I think I saw some data showing that third graders uh, in a one, year or two ago in the CMAS state standardized testing, among third graders, black and brown students were like 5% for reading and, and math skills and, and reaching proficiency. With these terrible whoa, numbers. Whoa, whoa, one more time. Black and brown students in DPS. Had third graders. Third graders. Only 5% of them are proficient As at grade level. At grade level. 95% mm. of them are not proficient. And when you broaden that out across the district, it's some on the order of 30 to 40% proficiency in those areas, as I recall. So you have dismal student achievement, 
and a school board that is not focusing on that, not focusing on school safety, but is instead bogged down in personality squabbles. I do think that there are a few school board members who are at least trying to right the ship a little bit as far as getting away from some of the personality stuff and whatnot. And you have a couple who actually came out um, in support of bringing back school resource officers permanently before that vote happened. But the way that this board conducts itself, I mean, Albertus Simmons, who's a civil rights, act, rights activist in Denver, went to a board meeting and he called them out right to their faces for a clown show, for being a clown show, because Tay Anderson and Michelle Quattlebaum were totally derailing the meeting while the, super, uh, while the chief of police, Ron Thomas, was standing right in front of them giving a presentation. So you have this groundswell now of parents that are like, and I'm glad to finally see it, the board needs to change direction, to resign, we got to vote in new members, whatever it is, you are finally seeing parents recognize how DPS defines dysfunctional and how students are being put at risk now, their lives and their well-being and their educational success are being discarded far too often in this district. It's shocking. DPS has always been a mess. DPS has tried sometimes having reform members. Sometimes there have been attempts to allow more charter schools, more choice within the government system. There are sometimes lifeboats that swim by and, and occasionally some scholarship organizations will be able to help DPS kids get out and, and be rescued. And, and, but those are the rare rescues that get out there. Sometimes there's a charter school or um, a school that for special needs kids that they, they can, we can pluck a kid out of that morass and save that one kid. But you only have one opportunity. You know, these kids only have one shot to get through the system. And you're right, the, the amount of preening that goes on, the amount of, hey, look at me, I'm running for something else. Uh, I'm, I'm not using this to help kids get an education. I'm using this to voice my social justice warrior beliefs. I'm using this to beat up on police. I'm using this as, as my, uh, my calling card for other things and injustices of the world. The job is one, protect our kids because you have forcibly taken them out of our homes where we cannot protect them. Yes. And two, educate them, educate them to read to write, to do arithmetic. And then hopefully afterwards, they will come to their own decisions on how they feel about justice, how they feel about activism. But let, teach them to read first. Yeah. And by every measure, every measure, DPS is failing and failing and failing. And they're failing the poorest families the most. Those are the families that don't have the time to show up at endless meeting after meeting, endless parent-teacher this and that, and to go to the PTA meetings. They're the ones that need help. So tell me, what, what are some of the solutions? I mean, we, we, all, we all know that large-scale parental choice is not around the corner, all right? We're not going to have private school choice. It's not going to happen. We're not going to have more lifeboats, big lifeboats. They're great. They're great uh, private scholarship funds. 
there's ACE, there's Parents Challenge. Yes. These, are, these are incredible organizations. People should give money to these organizations to help build better lifeboats, to help uh, poorer families get their kids out of, out of these cesspools. But we have an education system here that doesn't want to provide more charter schools, that doesn't want to provide more, more choice yet. We've got to do something and we've got to do something fast. What? So I do think there are a variety of options in Denver as far as existing charter schools that you can go to, going into open enrollment into other schools. There are some decent choice options in DPS, thankfully. But what you need to do is make sure that two things. One, you get involved in the election because this November, three school board positions are up for uh, two up for re-election. Tay Anderson has decided not to seek re-election, so that will be an open seat. He's run, he, he serves at large currently. Uh, so participating in making sure you're voting and paying attention for this upcoming election. But it also is just general pressure. What we have seen this year has been remarkable in that because you finally have parents speaking out and making their voices heard in a way that unfortunately we haven't seen in at least a very long time. You have the school board reacting, that decision to bring back temporarily and then permanently. And it takes a friggin' shooting yes. to make that happen. Yes, but the fact that parents spoke up in the right. wake of that shooting is really the key. And also the media that has almost entirely been asleep at the wheel in Denver when it comes to DPS, finally has found license to be at least a little bit critical of the school board and the school district. It's a marked difference between, remember earlier, I talked about the march of a thousand students calling for Tay right. Anderson to resign in September, 2021. Because it was students and very few parents were speaking out. And I think I was pretty much the lone voice of the wilderness writing uh, critically about the board and saying, you're not going far enough with a, resi with, a, with a censure, you should be calling for your colleague to resign, so on and so forth. But because those parents in Denver weren't speaking out, there was no incentive, because they're the voters, not right. the students. There was no incentive for the school board to push any further. But now there is, because not only do you have the spotlight with the shooting, but you have parents saying, enough is enough, what can we do? And you have multiple parent groups that have um, gathered together, pushing for reform and or pushing for resignations of the school board. And I'm at least encouraged to see parents rising up because that has been lacking. And finally, a little bit of media criticism going on now. The one thing I'll say about the media is I think they're finally catching on that since there are no more Republicans, there are no more conservatives, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that there's no conservatives to beat up on. The story is leftist on leftist violence, yeah. that, that the corruption is on the left and there's nothing else to beat up on the, on the right. There's just no there there. Sooner or later, you're going to have to report on the craziness that is going on yeah. inside organizations like DPS. Look, John, I can't tell you how many people over the past couple of years had been coming to me who are Democrats who have said, thank yeah. you for covering Tay Anderson yeah. in Shining yeah. Light. We're afraid to 
because he weaponizes claims of racism and says anybody who's critical of him is a racist, and he's done so in a way that's very successful. But now you do see more people, including folks in the media, that have felt, okay, it's all right for us to be a little critical of Tay Anderson and his colleagues. What a spectacular point. And being maybe just a little older than you, I've never seen good people on the left so scared of the radicalized left before ever in Colorado. I mean, ever in Colorado. And I, I run into them. I'm like, what's going on? They go, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it is a cancel culture. I mean, those of us on the center right, you know, we're dead to them. It doesn't matter. We're, we're all called racist to the point that we just don't care anymore. But in their world, the damage is really pretty tough. It means canceled contracts. It means they might not get it elected. They might, it's, it's really difficult. It's no reason why Polis has a hard time taking on the, the, the truly batshit crazy part of his wing, of his party. Same thing that Michael Johnston's gonna have, and he's already showing he can't stand up to it. Those are the people who really need to stand up and go, I'm not with them. That's too crazy. Right. And they're going to need to get a backbone. Otherwise, it's just going to fall off the deep end. Yeah, I mean, you can even see this play out a little bit on the DPS board. So in that executive session, it was pretty clear that all but one school board member was, uh, were opposed to bringing back school uh, law enforcement officers, police back to campuses. They just felt like it was a necessary step. They didn't want well, say, them Say that again. Term. So all, there was a, all of them but one opposed bringing back? Yes. All right, let me, let like, me, let me say this yes. again. One person wanted the cops back. Charmaine Lindsay, yes. The others didn't want it, but knew that if they didn't bring him back, those nasty yes. parents with pitchforks would have their heads. That seemed quite clear to me. And I think over the next couple of months, leading into their, what, June vote to permanently bring back school resource officers, because remember, this March vote after the executive session was just a temporary measure through June 30th, whereas in this case, this vote in June was to permanently bring them back. That's and I think fascinating. The, the four who uh, voted yes just sort of realized we have to do this, whether they wanted to or not, whether they felt like it was their real objective or what they would like to see or not, they had to do it because there was such a groundswell. But they don't want to. That's what they didn't want people to see, is that they don't want to bring the cops back, but they feel they have to. And they beat up, they beat up the superintendent for doing it yeah. because it made them look bad. Well, and, and so when and I they did didn't a, care about the kids and they didn't care about the staff. My column for the Gazette the, that ran the day after the executive session, but I wrote it the day before the executive session, I quoted Charmaine Lindsay on the record. She was the first school board member to publicly say, I believe we need to bring back the law enforcement. We need to bring back police officers because they are a deterrent to kids who may be bringing guns or other weapons to school. Now, she wanted it to be up to the school and kind of to make those determinations as opposed to district wide, 
But the point is there was one school board member who was clearly, and did so in the executive session, strongly advocating for bringing back SROs, uh, police to schools, and making that a permanent step, which ultimately did happen in that four to three vote in June. So that's a, a, to, to Charmaine Lindsay's credit in that regard. And I think that there are some other bright spots in terms of say, this executive session, there was a clear recognition that things were not as they should be as far as the board consistently or, or frequently using, misusing executive sessions. So uh, you had an instance in December of last year where the board voted six to one to go to an executive session. And the one no vote was Scott Balderman who said, I don't know what we're gonna talk about, so I have to vote no on this session. And it was pretty clearly uh, an instance of talking about Superintendent Alex Marrero and how Tay Anderson, Scott Esserman, and Michelle Quattlebaum weren't so pleased with uh, Marrero and his performance as a superintendent. Um, that I wrote about this back in December. It was abundantly clear that that was the case. So you have a pattern of a few things among the DPS board and in this district of going behind closed doors for dubious, if not outright illegal reasons, whether they come out with the policy change, which is against the law, you can't do that, or not. You have a, pat so that's a pattern of secrecy, to be clear, and non-transparency. You have a pattern of disregard for this, the complete and utter state of disrepair, uh, of, of cratering student achievement. You have a pattern of disregard for school safety and discipline issues. In fact, the superintendent himself has doggedly said, I don't want to change the discipline matrix in our district because, uh, and he has some social justice warrior type rationales for that. Uh, then you have, of course, the pattern of personalities, especially Tay Anderson, but not exclusively Anderson. You have these personality squabbles. You have these egos that are at play instead of focusing on the kids and frankly, the students and staff. When you have school principals and their union speaking out saying, we need changes to the discipline policy, that should say everything you need to know. And especially as well, they've recently, the principal, Kurt Dennis of McAuliffe International School was fired after having blown the whistle on this student charged with attempted murder right. Going to his school, he said, I requested multiple times that they remove him and, and find alternative arrangements for the student. But he also got DPS, Department of Safety, and Denver Police supporting him in this request, yet the district said, nope, denied. He ultimately was fired after blowing the whistle. And the principal's union has filed a grievance in his defense. So now you have staff that have been turning on the school district internally in addition to parents, and also students are outraged. And all they want is a safe place to learn. Safe place and a better quality education, at least a decent quality education. And by the way, that is not to knock any of the teachers or staff that are doing their very best, given this environment, to provide as good of an education as they possibly can amidst these circumstances. Jimmy, keep it up. You've been a watchdog. It matters. It's a record. It's a chronicle. But more importantly, a lot of people are keeping, keeping you at the forefront, and it's important you, you keep that up. So thanks for the work on the, the Gazette. Thanks for what you do on 710 KNUS, and uh, keep practicing the harmonica. Thanks, John. Absolutely. Gotta love the music. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. And I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations. 